on. So uh, he's already in your tomorrow. That's so true. That's because he is the author of time and he is the creator of time. He stands outside the limitations that we have. We are limited by time. We are associated by time and space. And so we know everything in that context. Uh, we haven't uh, even considered or not able to consider additional dimensions that uh, belong to God, and so I thank God that He is already in our tomorrow, and He knows what's going to happen today before it happens, but uh, yet, in God's providence, He gives you and I the opportunity to decide to respond or to reject. He gives us that opportunity within the framework of that time that He's placed us in. So take your Bible back to John chapter 15, and let's consider what we have before us here. John chapter 15. The title of the message today is Dead Branches or Fruitful Boughs. Dead Branches or Fruitful Boughs. As Jacob lay dying, he gathered his 12 sons there to bless them one last time before God called him home. And he prophesied concerning each one of them. He got down to Joseph, a favorite son, and he said, Joseph is a fruitful bough. Even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. If you want to be a branch, you want to be that kind of branch. A fruitful bough, a bough by a well, a bough whose branches run up over the wall. We all have walls in our lives and we have here the uh, prophecy of Joseph being one of those who would... Uh, not let the walls stop his growth. And so it is with us, we have that same opportunity. Such a, a branch and a, and a vine, uh, as we have read about here today, the, the branch is in the vine, and the vine is what supplies the branch with life, and the vine is what's really bringing about the possibility of fruit in the branch as well. It's not the branch itself, it's what the branch is attached to. And it is true of us today. It's not you and I, the branches, it's whether or not we are attached to the vine. And so it's about, it's a, it's a message about connection, see, about a connection. And I want to ask you today to consider your connection. Are you connected to the vine? There's no place in the passage here that talks about a living vine being severed away from the a living branch being severed away from the vine and, and then cast away. That's not the implication of the passage at all. He's using an illustration here uh, to uh, help us to understand the, the value of the, uh, of the relationship that uh, we must have in Jesus Christ. And some have misread the passage that we have before us and misunderstood its meaning and have drawn to the conclusion that you can be a child of God and saved one moment and then severed away from Christ the next and cast into judgment and hell. Well, that's not at all what the passage teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches that nowhere. Uh, those that believe and preach that just believe and preach the wrong thing. They're in error. Uh, and so um, this passage here, to, uh, for us to fully understand it, we need to understand the two elements that are most prominent in the passage. And the first is the word abide. It's used nine times there, and it's the prominent word in the passage, abide and abiding. Uh, and then the other 
prominent phrase or word in the passage is, um, is fruit or fruitfulness or bearing fruit. So those concepts and the idea of the branch-vine relationship are what the, what the passage is centrally about. We have two contrasting pronouns that are used as well as we read it down through here. We saw him talking about ye and you and yours and then, then he gets down to a place where he says a man. He's talking about some, someone else, and he says a man, and he says, he uses the pronouns them and they. So there's ye and you and them and they. So there's two different uh, elements here, two different groups he refers to. Let me say that the ye and you crowd are the saved, and I hope you're part of that. The ye and you crowd, the saved ones that are uh, abiding in the vine, that are connected to the vine, that connected to life. And then there's the them, the, the other ones that are what I labeled dead branches. Over here is a pile of dead branches. It's withered and ready to be burned. And over here is a living vine and the branches that are bearing fruit on that vine. You run your Bible through, you see that God uses three different trees in illustrating the nation of Israel. And he... Uh, in one place in the Old Testament, in many places, the Old Testament refers to them as, as a vine, as a vine. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Remember that passage in Isaiah? It brought forth wild grapes that were bitter and not good, bad fruit. And so um, that's the nation of Israel. That's what happened. The nation of Israel uh, turned away from God and turned to the gods of the world and became a, 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 a wild vine, one that wasn't bearing edible, usable fruit. Another, uh, another plant or tree that uh, Israel is referred to by is the fig tree. Jesus came to that fig and looked for fruit on it, and it wasn't the season of fruit, but he expected fruit on that tree, and it had nothing but leaves. And he illustrates the nation of Israel as in that current state as that fig without fruit, leaves without fruit. There is coming a time where Israel will have another tree connected to her, and that is the olive tree. The olive tree is the, the, the tree bearing the fruit of the olive, the life-giving uh, fruit and the olive and the oil and the, all of the elements that relate to the olive tree in the, in the illustrations of the Bible of the olive tree become... Uh, become practical, become applicable to Israel in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ when they uh, look upon Him whom they have pierced and trust Him as Savior, when they finally embrace as a nation their Messiah, the one who they have been waiting for but aren't aware that He's already here. And so um, those three trees in a, great, in a broader sense represent Israel and certainly we can see how that... Uh, the uh, illustration would apply nationally to Israel as uh, we look at it here. But then as we look to who Jesus is referring to, who he's talking to, who he's teaching here, we have his disciples. And it's disciples that are gathered around, and that's the group that, to whom he is referring when he says ye and you and so on like that, and talking about the importance of abiding in the vine and su such like that. So we're going to take a look at uh, three truths briefly today. We're going to look at the term abiding and make an application and we're, we're going to look at fruit bearing following that and we're going to wrap it up today with the, what the Bible says about those dead branches, what, the, uh, what those 
mean and how those apply to our circumstances today. First of all, the idea of abiding, abiding. Uh, for the first thing concerning abiding is that Christ must abide in you for your very life, for life itself. Verse 4 says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. There has to be a connection for you to have life. Uh, Christ must abide in you. You must abide in him. There has to be that connection there uh, for you to have life at all. Uh, and you must abide in him not only for life, but you must abide in him for fruitfulness. A dead branch doesn't bear any fruit. And so the branch, you as a child of God, abiding in Christ are going to bear fruit. Fruit is produced at the branch, but it comes from the source. The branch doesn't do anything of itself. These separated branches, this pile of withering branches over here that's ready to be burned, they can't do anything of themselves. There's no fruit going to ever, no matter how long we wait, there's no fruit going to be born on those branches that are separated from the vine. It's just not going to happen. So fruit bearing is a byproduct of a connection with the vine, you see, and from the source. Years ago when Garrett was in um, junior high school, we had a Christmas tree and we, you know, we got it down at the lot and we cut it. Uh, it was a year we went down to the Christmas lot and cut the tree and we brought it home. We immediately put it in the water and it was green and green and never lost any of the, of the needles or anything. And it was just so beautiful and green and, and uh, alive, you know, all the way through the Christmas season. And Garrett said, Dad, I, I think that tree's going to live, you know, and think it's going to live. And I said, no, son, it's, it doesn't have any roots. <laughs> he said, but Dad, I, I think it's going to grow roots again because it's so green. And so uh, I said, well, you know, you can, you can try it if you want. So he wanted to keep it alive, you know, and so he took it outside and he got a, a bucket and he put the, the, the tree in the bucket and he uh, fixed it up so it'd stay there. And and then he put the uh, plant food with it, and he checked it every day. And he said, Dad, look, it's growing something down there in the bottom, you know. And he assumed it was, um, it was roots coming out of that thing. And I said, well, be a first if that ever, if that happened, it'd be a first. You'd be, you'd have a new discovery. But he was sure it was going to happen, but uh, it looked good all the way through January. And, you know, he had a pretty good argument going. But uh, February came, the warm weather uh, began to have its way on it, and it began to dry out. <laughs> It was because it did not have the root. It wasn't connected anymore. It had been, it had been taken away from its roots. And, and it was now going to just go the way of all Christmas trees. It was going to dry out and, and uh, turn to nothing but something you could burn. It is, uh, it is separated from the vine. So for uh, there to be fruit in a person's life, of course, there has to be first the connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. His word now must abide in you as well. His word must abide. That's another aspect of what uh, we're, uh, we're being taught here. The, the word of God must abide in you, must have a place in you, must have a residence in you, in your heart, in your mind. The word of Christ must be able to take up residence in you. You, 
you need to read it and you need to hear it and you need to try to remember it and you need to try to live by it. And that's how the word abides in you uh, as the passage here tells us. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide, live, find a place of residence in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. You see what he's saying there is that as his word abides in the Christian the Christian has a much more effective prayer life. The passage simply states that whatever you're going to ask, it'll be done unto you. And you say, how in the world could that be? Because a Christian who's abiding in God's word and letting God's word be that which guides, directs his life, heart, mind, soul, his will, his goals, his objectives, the person who gets to that place ends up having a will that's, very close to the will of God. And the will of God and your will matching together, He does, He does give us what we ask because we ask according to His will. Uh, we, we know that we ask for things and we don't get them, but the Bible tells us why that is. We ask amiss that we might consume it upon our own desires, our own lusts. And, and uh, there are other times where we ask and ask and we don't get the response we thought we should get, but God nevertheless answers our prayers. He answers our prayers. Abraham prayed and prayed and prayed that God would spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there be ten righteous souls in that city. And he prayed, God spare Sodom and Gomorrah for Lot, my, my son's sake, my nephew. God spare Sodom and Gomorrah, spare it, spare it. And, but he woke up the next morning and he went out to the top of the ridge there, and he looked down across where Sodom and Gomorrah was, and there was just nothing but a burning embers left of Sodom and Gomorrah. God didn't answer Abraham's prayer, and Abraham was a righteous man, a godly man, a man who loved the word of God, a man who loved God, who followed him, who was a man after God's own heart. Abraham was a friend of God, and yet God did not answer that prayer the way Abraham thought he would. But the scripture does still record that God did answer Abraham by sparing his son Lot, his nephew Lot, and uh, his daughters. And so uh, God did answer Abraham's prayer differently than Abraham thought he would answer it, but he did nonetheless answer it. It is true of the child of God who is walking with God, who, uh, who is letting the word of God have the uh, impact that God desires it to. It is true of such a one that his prayer life is much, much, much more effectual than the prayer life of one who is just nominally following the Lord. And so we all have that sobering thought uh, concerning our examination of ourselves. Uh, do my, does my prayer uh, seem to line up with God's will and purposes for my life, or am I always uh, coming up frustrated with unanswered prayer? The word abiding in us, very important, because the word cleanses us as we uh, read it believingly, the scripture we read just, uh, just uh, highlighted that fact that the word cleans you. You're, for, but ye are clean, he said, through the word which I have spoken unto you. You're cleansed. You're made clean by the word which I have spoken unto you. You understand that the Heavenly Father is much more apt to answer the specific prayer of us when we are clean in our relationship to him than other times. His word must abide in us for effective prayer because we, we, when we get in his uh, word, we find that as his word is in us and as we are in his word, 
we begin to have desires that relate and match with the desires He has for us. Thank God for that great truth concerning abiding. And then we're to abide in the love of Christ, He says there. Talking about living and having a place to dwell in the love of Christ. We're to abide in the love of Christ. Our life should be uh, demonstrating a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, for, his, uh, for Himself, for His person, for His Word, for His house, for His people, uh, to love one another, to abide with God's people, to abide in His house. Those things are important in our relationship to Christ because they express our love for Jesus Christ. You know, uh, somebody you just don't like, it's not your, you know, it's not your habit or your desire to spend as much time as you can around them, you know. But somebody you like and appreciate and then come to love, uh, you want to spend more time around them, not less. And so he says, if we're abiding in Christ, we're needing to understand the importance of expressing that love for Christ by abiding uh, in his love. He, he states it well in verse 9 through 11. As we read it again, the Father, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy, my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Fullness of joy, a life of joy. A life of joy. It's different than happiness. It's, it's not something that's conditioned upon the circumstances. You're a 49er fan. You're going to be happy if they win. You're going to be sad if they lose. Uh, but you can still maintain joy. <laughs> you can maintain joy. Happiness is conditioned on variables. But joy can be everlasting. And that's what our Lord wants us to experience. The, the joy, His joy, becoming our joy. And to live a life of joy, you know, to live a life of joy. I am broken for so many today who live a life of angst and fear and dread, who live a life that moves from one catastrophe to another, who live a life that's surrounded by the depression of the idea that there's no hope and no help in this world, I tell you. That's a sad place, a very sad place to be, and it is not uh, without reason that so many who live in that case try extreme measures to get out of that case such as suicide it's a sad place to be and none has to be there the joy of the Lord is your strength and that joy that he has is offered to you that your joy might be full it's connected with as you see it here it's connected with abiding in the love of Jesus Christ and the answer is given there well you say how do I do that how do I abide in the love of Christ how do I express love for Christ how do I know how to do that well it's simple enough there he says you know uh, he says um, it's a it's a matter of obedience if you keep my commandments you shall abide in my love if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. How do I abide in the love of Christ? How do, how do I spend my time there? In the love of Christ, in the love of my brethren, in the love of others, how, how does that work? He says, it's simple enough. 
when you hear the word, you respond to the word, you obey the word, and you're abiding in the love of Christ. You know? you're, you're expressing that you really believe that. Do you really believe the Bible is the word of God? If you believe the Bible is the word of God and you hear something or you read something in scripture, you have the choice to say, I'm going to do that or I'm not going to do that. And, and the, the Lord just simply makes it very easy for us. He says, if you do what I tell you to in the scripture, uh, you're expressing love to me. And uh, that opens up a whole avenue of answered prayer, of lasting joy. It opens up so many things. Why would we as Christians, as children of God, want to live our life half in and half out, half committed and half uncommitted? Why would we as Christians want to live in a way where, there's, where the, we're cut off from the fullness of God's joy and we just kind of uh, stagger and stumble through life until we get to the end and we go to heaven with uh, you know, a little bag of rewards for here and there where we, where we hit one? You know? Why not uh, take all that God has for you? Why not live your life instead of half in and half out, all in? Why not? You know? Why not? And so that's what he's saying there, to, to experience the fullness of joy and the love of Christ expressed back to him as he's expressed it to us and as he related it from the Father, we have a simple formula. Just obey his word. Just do what he tells you to. Obey his word. And so uh, that's it. That's what we're talking about. We abide in the love of Christ by doing that. Now that's abiding. But then there's fruit bearing. There's fruit bearing. There's a progression in the passage that we read about and it starts as you notice it there it started with just fruit with bearing fruit and then there came purging there comes purging uh, purging is you know trimming back uh, the unnecessary and getting rid of the extraneous and uh, trimming the branch back to where that it'll bear more fruit purging purging the living branch we're not working with these pile of dead branches over here we're not purging them we're not trimming them we're working on something that's connected with Christ already, all right? And in our lives, there comes purging as Christians. It happens to all of us. We need purging from time to time. And uh, purging gives a purpose. The purpose of it is to bear more fruit, to bear more fruit. It's a process that always uh, uh, involves getting rid of impurities in the branch, getting rid of the uh, the things that are extraneous and drawing off, uh, drawing off energy and life to a source that's not uh, bearing fruit. It's a, a cleansing, as by the word of God. Purging is also cleansing. And he says, you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. So the cleansing and the trimming, the getting rid of the, uh, those impurities in our life, that's what the Lord does through the course of our life in order for us to bear more fruit. And then comes the procession of things, the progression of things down to much fruit. As verse 5 says, much fruit is the desire that the Lord has for us. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And so uh, uh, bringing forth much fruit is the progression. And then the last part of the progression seen down in verse 16 where we read the fruit that remains. Fruit that remains, not something that just, you know, comes and goes, but fruit that remains. Good fruit, as I said before, comes from good root, doesn't it? The biblical principle is that things produce after their kind. One sense of fruit is increase. The Bible speaks a lot about the increase and talks about that as the fruit in our life. 
Deuteronomy 28 and verse 4 says it this way. Blessed be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle and the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. And in verse 11 it says, And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods in the fruit of thy body, in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord swore unto thy fathers to give thee. He tells that to the nation of Israel as they uh, stepped out and followed him. And he gives them that uh, assurance. The, the fruit of all these things was the increase that God had wanted to give in their lives. You know, the Lord wants to give increase in your life as well. Our uh, Lord does not want us to live a low fruit life. Uh, not a low fruit life. He'd like us to have much fruit. He'd like us to have lasting fruit in our lives. He certainly wants that. Psalm 1 verse 3 says it this way. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doth shall prosper. Children are the fruit of the womb. Souls that are brought to Jesus Christ as you Give the gospel to them. Those are the fruit of, uh, of uh, soul winning. And uh, these are some of the fruit that God says he'd like all of us to have in our lives. Hindrances there are to being fruitful. The Bible makes it plain. Or those, Mark 4 says it this way, the cares of this world, that's one of the hindrances, their fruitfulness. The deceitfulness of riches, uh, the the Bible uh, uses another term in another of the gospels. It says uh, the pleasures of other things, and the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of other things, all those, all those things we have in our lives. Uh, we all have the cares of the world. We all have uh, the deceitfulness of riches. We all have the, you know, the pleasures of other things. He said, but when those things uh, begin to turn our focus away from the Lord and His place in our life and our place in His, uh, in His. Uh, will, when those things turn us away from that, then we become less fruitful. And we don't want that. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things entering in, he said, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Mark chapter 3, chapter 4, verse 19. They choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. You may be caught up in some of these things. The the illustration that Jesus uses is a garden and then a bunch of weeds cropping up and choking out the garden plants that you had there and those garden plants that you wanted to bear fruit becoming unfruitful. We need to do some weed whacking in our Christian lives, don't we? Uh, we need to do some weed whacking because we don't want those things to take over the cares that so easily distract us, the pleasures of this life that so readily turn our head in another direction, the lusts of other things and so on. When all those things are said and done, uh, they're just going to be junk, you know. You've probably watched that program called Hoarders and You've seen people that, that love things and love things and love things until they let them just rot in the home and, and uh, destroy, their, destroy their dwelling place because of their love for things and the, 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 uh, the unnatural desire to keep things and have things, you know. Um, that, that's what, uh, what illustrates this idea of what happens when our eyes are turned to things uh, instead of 
where they ought to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's one of those hindrances to being fruitful. But there are helps, though, also in the next verse in that passage in Luke uh, chapter 8, where the, um, where the various uh, distractions are. In the next verse, he says in Luke chapter 8 and verse 15, but that on the good ground are they which uh, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So there's three things given there that help us be fruitful, an honest, good heart, a, a right heart, an ear for God's word. It says having heard the word, underline that, having heard the word. So it's not just the reading of the word, which is very important in a daily exercise we ought to all be participating in that are Christians. If you're a Christian here today, you ought to be daily exercised in the reading of the word of God. No doubt about that. No question about that. Uh, I can prove that to you over and over again from the scripture. But here he says more than that. He says they need an honest and good heart, a true heart, a right heart. Uh, and having heard the word, we need to be where we hear the word. We need to be where the word is preached, where the word is taught. We need to be among God's people having heard the word. And then the third thing he says there, he says they got a right heart, they got an ear for God's word. And thirdly, a commitment to obeying the word. Having heard the word, keep it. Having heard the word, keep it. goes back to expression of our love for our Savior is we keep his word. We do what he tells us to. And so it is and so it ought to be. That's the challenge for each of us today. The Bible says we can bring forth 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold in the amount of fruit we bear in our lives. And uh, we ought to be striving toward the 100-fold, you know, 100 times over uh, in every sense of the word in our lives. But uh, we all have that. If you're saved, if you're saved, you're connected to the vine, okay? If you're not saved today, if you're not a child of God, if you haven't been born again, if you have never been connected in Jesus Christ, Christ in you and you in Him, if that's not happened, you're, you're just a, one of these over here. You're a dead branch. You're over here. Um, and a miracle has to take place there for you not to be cast into the fire. A miracle of life from something that is dead uh, and grafted in, grafted into the living vine. And God does that. He's the only one who can. So if you're one of those that are here and could be saying, in, in all honesty, I'm there. I, I can't remember a time where I was uh, forgiven and cleansed and made one with Jesus Christ and he with me. I can't look back on a time where my life was changed that way. And so uh, I want to encourage you to let today be that day. The fate of those that are not in Christ and who don't, do not have Christ is a sad one. First, they're withered, he says, and that's, you know, a life withered rather than a life of joy, a life withered rather than a life of obedience to Christ, a life withered, and finally, when it's all said and done and dried up completely, cast into the fire. That's a sad, uh, a sad place to be, and there's no need for you to be there. Christ will give you life if you'll trust Him as your Savior. I'm blessed to have been for years uh, on the board of uh, Manual Baptist Rescue Mission, and we have meetings from time to time down in Los Angeles, down in Skid Row, uh, there and just uh, you know you drive into the rescue mission and you drive past block after block of tents uh, on the sidewalk blocking both sides of the sidewalk people out making drug deals openly on the street and so on like that uh, driving in uh, to this lighthouse in the midst of all that right in the middle of all that and uh, people saved out of there miraculously saved I had a meeting this week uh, there we went uh, Thursday I think it was and and um, got a chance to spend some time with some of the guys in the program there 
men that have been saved off the streets and are now in the Bible Institute there and studying their scriptures and uh, being involved serving in the uh, ministry there of Manual Baptist Rescue Mission, uh, a great blessing. One man I met is new there since the last time I was there, been there about six months now. He was born in uh, Puerto Rico, but he's, you know, he's as white as the whitest of you. <laughs> so uh, I said, how in the world did that happen? He doesn't speak any Spanish or anything like that either. You know, he's, he's a real cracker, you know. <laughs> so it's, uh, here he is, you know. Just shiny white face and a black glasses, really accents it, you know. And you're Puerto Rican, <laughs> born there. I said, tell me about it. And he said, well, his dad was from Spain. His mom was from England, and they settled Puerto Rico for a short time. He's born there. Ended up going to Pennsylvania, living there for a while. He um, heard the scriptures. He was taken to churches and so forth. He'd heard the Bible some uh, as a, a young person and made a profession of sorts uh, in Christ, you know, and, and then um, moved to New York City and got caught up in what was then called the Jesus People Movement. Some of you that are my age remember that the, the Christianized version of the hippie movement was the Jesus People Movement, you know. Uh, you could still keep your music, you could still keep your long hair, you could still you know, smoke your pot and stuff like that, but you could be a Christian. So, uh, so he got caught up in, in uh, a group like that and uh, went, went out street preaching and went out, you know, and got involved and would sell things to contribute to this organization that he was part of there, this so-called Christian organization. And, but then he found out that the head of the organization was a crook and was stealing money and so forth. And so he got completely disillusioned from Christianity altogether. And he just decided, I'm going to go uh, as far from that as I can. He got started studying uh, Hinduism. And he got really intrigued with it. Uh, he met some people that showed him that the entrance into it was to be open to the spirits uh, that were part of it. And so he opened himself up to the spirits and found uh, that uh, there were remarkable things that occurred when he did that. And uh, the, some of the uh, folks that were involved with him determined that he would be a great representative to bring Hinduism into the Western culture. And so he went to India to study there and actually became a guru. He went very deep into it. Uh, he said at one time I had over 300 spirits that were uh, that I was um, intrinsically involved with. Basically, we would say that he was possessed of devils, possessed of demons, and certainly he was. He said, and it gave me enormous power. I saw things, visions, and, and was able to do things uh, that others could not do. And so they were really encouraged with this guru, this man that had become a guru. He had, he had uh, over 20,000 followers uh, at one point in his uh, so-called ministry, uh, there, but uh, as we went on and talked, uh, he said this: the uh, the way that uh, the bulk of professing Christians were converted to Hinduism was that he was able to tell individuals things, personal things about themselves that the devils had informed him of, and he would give them personal details of their lives that no one else knew about. And time and again, he would use that through the help of the devils that were uh, that he was connected with to uh, convince these professing Christians that didn't really have Christ uh, that, uh, you know, the way of the Hindu was right. So he would regularly meet with large groups of um, Roman Catholics and others that were, uh, that were uh, disillusioned with um, Catholicism or with so-called Christianity and then would want to move into Hinduism. So he would train them and, and uh, teach them about opening themselves up to the spirits and the powers that were existing uh, with that, and so um, he was very, very involved in uh, d uh, demonism and so forth. 
interpreting that to be the spirits of the Hindu gods, you know, is what uh, he was doing. But he had, that, he had that emphasis from the scripture in his background all along. And it was there from the time he was a kid, although he wasn't yet converted. Um, and uh, so at one point he, was, he had, a, he had a, 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 a visitation and he said there were about 300 of these spirits that he was communing with. And uh, something possessed him to ask the question. He said to these spirits, he said, uh, um, what say we invite Jesus Christ to this gathering? And he said all at once there was this huge scream in his ears, no, no. And he said they flashed away, you know, and he was left alone, like in a void, in a, in a vacuum, he felt like. Uh, and at that point, he began to, to, uh, to recall to mind scriptures that he had learned as, as a child that were flooding back into his mind for the course of the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting him, convincing him that he was nothing more than a lost sinner who had allowed himself to be fooled by these devils, you know. And so for three days, he struggled and struggled with that. Uh, sleepless, no sleep at all, just struggling with, he said, the most intense struggle of, of my life, three days and three nights. He said, I came to the point where I didn't want to live anymore. I just said, God, let me die. And he said, it seemed as the Holy Spirit said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he said, why? And he remembered the scripture that the Holy Spirit brought to his mind that God loved him and gave himself for him, gave his son for him. He remembered that. And all of a sudden, uh, when he recognized that, he called out on Christ to forgive him and to save him. And at that moment, all of the burden of his sins left him. He said, at that moment, it was like God dropped me into his lap. And, and I sensed the freedom from sin, freedom from the power of the possession of the devils that I had been bound with for so long. 30 years, he was a very prominent uh, guru in the, Hin in the Hindu religion. And uh, uh, he said, God just uh, impressed upon me. I needed to get out of the environment that I was in. Uh, and uh, so he canceled all of his appointments. He, he traveled around the world uh, with the promotion of Hindu. He canceled all of his appointments, and uh, the Spirit of God impressed upon him to go west. And so he said, um, I want to go west. He got to England, and he said, it seemed as the Spirit said, not west far enough, keep going. <laughs> so, so he ended up, six months ago, he ended up in Los Angeles. By the time he got into Los Angeles, he'd used all his money up. He had nothing left. So he went to the first place that he'd heard where he could get a meal and a place to stay. It was, a, it was one of the several missions down there. But he noticed they didn't have much emphasis on the Bible at this one. It was about food and it was about shelter and stuff like that. And that was okay. But he said, I need to get somewhere where they preach the Bible. And, and the guy on the street said, oh, I know where that is. That's Emmanuel Baptist Rescue Mission. <laughs> you're, not, you're not too far from it. And he gave him the instructions to where it was. He got there and told him his story, gave him his account, and they got him plugged into the uh, discipleship program, and he's grown and grown and grown in the Lord, and what a testimony he has for Christ now, winning people to Christ left and right because of his background in uh, Hinduism, and uh, a testimony to the power of the Word of God, a testimony to the lasting power of the Word of God. He had it, he had been given it somewhere in Pennsylvania when he was a kid, and it all was brought back to him by the Holy Spirit of God. I want to say to you today that that dead branch was brought to life. Uh, he was such a humble individual, I suspected he could probably write a book and be well-known or something like that. But he's content to dwell in a rescue mission in the middle of 
tent city down there in the homeless population and just to serve the Lord there in that place. Uh, what a remarkable uh, situation that is. And I wonder today if um, in thinking about that, you may be like him. I mean, he preached, he preached out of the Bible on the streets of, uh, of New York City. You know, he, he knew some Bible and he professed to be some kind of a Christian, but he never had it here, you know. And I wonder today if there's some that would say, yeah, I could relate to that. I know about the Bible and I know, you know, why Jesus came and why he died, but there's never been that change in my life. Has there ever been that time like he described where you're, you're hopeless and helpless and undone and uh, finally surrender to the Lord Jesus and all your burden is gone? Oh, it's a wonderful sense to know that all my sin is behind and under the blood. So uh, today I want to encourage you to come and trust Christ if you haven't. Uh, don't live a dead branch anymore. Don't live the, don't uh, be, don't exist as a dead branch anymore. Uh, be a fruitful bough. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Even a fruitful bough by the well whose branches run over the wall. Let's stand together and give an invitation to you. You may already be a child of God, uh, bearing fruit in your life. But don't you want it to do more than just have a little fruit? Uh, you want to bear more fruit, much fruit, lasting fruit. And so let's grow up over the wall like Joseph did. And uh, so as we give an invitation, let's turn to 515. And we'll sing an invitation hymn. And I encourage you as Christians to come and use the altar. Say, God, help me to be more fruit-bearing. Help me to be more fruitful. Give me more fruit in my life. Help my prayers to be more effectual as I love you by obedience to your word. Then if you're here and you're not yet saved, to come and trust Jesus as your Savior. If it's a man, what we do is this. If it's a man that comes, we'll have, I'll have a man that will take the Bible. and He'll take you over to the side out of, out of the um, uh, main area here and he'll show you out of the Bible how to call on Christ and how to be born again. He'll show you out of the Bible. We don't, it's not our own opinion. It's what the Bible says. And so he'll show you that, and you can be born again. If it's a lady comes, we'll have a lady do the same thing. We'll show you out of the Scriptures uh, over to the side there and give you a chance to respond and trust Christ as your Savior. Maybe here you have been born again, but you haven't really been uh, following the Lord like you know you should. The Spirit's been convicting you. You know you've got to get things right. I want to encourage you to come and get things right today and get back on track for the Lord. Get where you know you need to be. Let's uh, have a word of prayer and you come as we, as we uh, respond. Father, we pray for each one that's here. Lord, we all that are Christians want to be a more fruitful bough. God, we have walls in our life. We'd like to see uh, you help us grow over them and, and uh, be expanding our, our, uh, our uh, influence to others. Lord, I pray, uh, Father, for those that um, have no assurance that they're in Christ I pray, Father, that you would draw them to yourself today and connect them to you. We know that only you can do that, but they need to be willing. So I pray, Father, that there'd be those that would be willing to let you save them today. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us all to respond to your Holy Spirit's leading as these others come. I pray that you'd guide each one of us. Pray for those that need a church home, that this is where they're supposed to be, that you'd uh, help them to respond and present themselves for membership. I pray, Father, that you'd uh, bless the invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen.